Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, put a marker or something there in Exodus chapter 3. And then we're going to be starting in 1 Kings chapter 7. Uh, If you don't know where Exodus is, you go to the front of your Bible and hang a right. And it's the second book of of the Bible, second book in the Old Testament. And then if you don't know where 1 Kings is, you just keep going to your right and uh, you'll eventually hit it. So uh, both of them are in the Old Testament. But we're going to be starting in 1 Kings chapter 17. So as I was nearing the end of my uh, education uh, as as a pastor, I had two things happen to me that caused me to question, wonder if what God had put on my heart was the right thing to do. Does that make sense? Uh, I don't know if any of you are like me, but... Uh, there are times that you you think you know what what you want to do is right, but then uh, things happen and and it, it causes you to to question whether or not what you want to do is the will of God. So the first thing that happened was, as many of you know, uh, I I was the facilities manager at the college that I attended. Uh, uh, I was in charge of anything physical to church, or at, not a church, at the, at the college. Um, the buildings, the grounds, the vehicles, you know, all that stuff. It was, it was I, I actually enjoyed the job. It was quite challenging. Um, but one day, the president of the college, Dr. Ron Comfort, called me into his office, <clears throat> and, he, and he just sat me down, which, you know, it wasn't totally unusual. Uh, you know, I was a department head at the college. So it wasn't totally unusual for him to call me in, but it was kind of kind of weird. But anyway, so I get this call. He says, hey, Rick, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. So I go up to the office. I, he says, sit down. Now, that was weird. Normally, if he, if he wanted me for something, I'd walk into his office. He'd say, hey, go fix this or that, and, and then I'd leave. But very seldom did he ever say, sit down. I want to talk to you. That was just weird. So I sat down in his office and he looks at me and he says, Rick, I think you just need to stop taking classes. And I think you need to determine that your ministry is this college. And that this is where God wants you to spend the rest of your life. Now you have to understand who I'm I'm talking to here. This is the president of the college, the man I work for, and a man who I highly respected. And I sat there and I thought, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Because God was moving in my heart and life to, to, to move away. Well, about a month later, <clears throat> we were uh, down in Charleston, uh, where, where, we, where we were from, uh, visiting family and so on and so forth at Christmas. And we were at church and, and um, my pastor pulled me aside. He says, Rick, I need to talk to you. Okay. So he calls me, he pulls me into his office, and he says, sit down, I want to talk to you. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. 
How many of you get nervous when I say, hey, I need to talk to you? <laughs> I get people like, what did I do? You know, so I'm sitting in, the, I'm doing what you were doing, okay? And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I've only been here for a day and a half. What could I have done in a day and a half? You know what I'm saying? So anyway, he says, he says, he, he just looks at me, he says, you know, Rick, he says, I, I think you need to just quit taking classes and decide that ambassador is going to be your ministry for the rest of your life. I'm like, did, did you guys talk? You know, now, now they may have, I don't know, I didn't ask, but I just, I, I just found it very strange. So Melanie, Melanie and I spent a good bit of time talking about this. And at the time, I was probably about 45, 46 years old. I was, at the time, I think the oldest student at the college. And um, <clears throat> which, well, you know, if you've ever been to college in your 40s, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, it's bad enough when you're 20s. You try doing it in your 40s. So I decided to talk to one other person. I went to a man uh, who was a, one of the professors at the college. His name is Dr. Childs. At the time, where's Ashley? Uh, what, he was in his 80s? Yeah, at least. He's probably in his 200s by now. I don't know. <laughs> but he, he, he was the oldest person, on, uh, uh, oldest member of the uh, uh, teaching faculty. Uh, had been a pastor for a lot of years. Uh, again, he's a man that I highly respected, and I thought, you know what, if there's anybody in the world who is going to agree with the advice that I've gotten and, and give me the green light to ignore what I believe God was doing in my heart and stay at this college, it'll be this man. So have you ever gone to somebody asking for advice, hoping that they answer it in a certain way. Okay, well, now you know what I was, where I was, okay? Uh, <clears throat> so I go, into, I go into this old man, and uh, he, he would not be offended by me calling him that, by the way. Uh, but anyway, I went into Doc Childs, and I explained everything to him, told him everything that had happened. <clears throat> and how, how many of you know Rosemary, who used to sit usually sit right over here okay he's the male version of her okay he, he just a little firecracker and he he got up out of his chair leaned over his desk i thought he was going to hit me and he he put his finger in my face he said rick don't you ever let your age determine the will of god for your life and that was exactly what i needed to hear wasn't what I wanted to hear, but it was what I needed to hear. I was 48 years old when we started Grace Baptist Church. Human logic says that's crazy. Most people in their in their late 40s are are, are squirreling money away uh, for retirement, are they not? They're not changing careers and moving uh, across the country to start a church. But you know what? That's what God had for me. And I am so thankful that I followed the leading of God and did not do what was the smart thing to do. This morning, we're going to be looking at two 
what I consider great ministers in the, in the scriptures. Two, two men that had huge impacts in, in scripture. And they were both, they both started their ministries late in life, if you would. 400 years between the two, 400 years between Moses and Elijah. Let's start reading in 1 Kings chapter 17. It says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was the inheritance who was of the inheritance of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, behold, whom I stand, therefore shall be no dew nor rain these years according to my word. Okay, let me let me kind of tell you what's going on here. And 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 I need you to bear with me because the first part of this message is going to go very quickly and I'm going to I'm going to give you a synopsis of the two lives of Elijah and Moses and I'm not I don't have time we would be here for days to 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 fill in all the blanks so I'm going to it's what I want you to do is I want you to go back and I want you to reread everything that I'm missing on both of these people, okay? But I, I'm going to be giving you very, very quickly a synopsis of these two men's lives. So, basically what Elijah does, he comes on the scene out of nowhere. Uh, most theologians have very little, if no information on Elijah prior to chapter 17, verse 1. Most theologians believe that uh, that Elijah was was an, uh, not an older not an elderly man, but he was older. He was probably in his 40 or 50s, very similar to the age I was when I started pastoring. His ministry was, was very short because he didn't start until he was older. But he just shows up out of nowhere as a prophet. And God puts it on his heart. Uh, Elijah goes to the king and says, Hey, look, there is going to be a great drought in the land. Until I say it's done. Now that's pretty bold. So Elijah basically declares a drought. In verse uh, uh, chapter 18, in verse 19, again, I told you we're going to go through this very quickly, so uh, just bear with me. Uh, chapter 18 and verse 19. Now therefore, send and gather uh, to me all Israel uh, unto uh, the Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of uh, the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So between chapter 17, verse 1, and chapter 18, verse 19, there is about a three and a half year drought. God comes to Elijah and says, okay, the drought's over. So Elijah then goes to the king and he tells him in verse uh <clears throat> 19 that we just read, gather all the prophets of Baal and all the, the, the prophets of the, of the grove, and we're going to have a contest on Mount Carmel. And again, I'm, 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 I'm speeding through this as quickly as I can. Um, so this contest goes on, and in verse 26 of chapter 18, 
and they took the bullock, which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of uh, Baal from the morning until noon, saying, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass uh, at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry uh, aloud, uh, for he is a god. Uh, either is he talking, or is he pursuing, or is he in a journey, or preventure that he sleepeth, that must be awakened. So basically what happens is, the, the, they get to Mount Carmel, Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to a contest, and they say, he says, okay, you first. You, you build an altar, you sacrifice an animal, you call down uh, your God to consume that offering. And if, if, uh, if, if nothing happens, then I will go. It'll be my turn. So from, from morning until noon, the, the prophets of Baal are dancing, they're jumping up and down. The Bible says that they even start cutting themselves and doing all kind of weird things. And, and Elijah starts to mock him and say, what is your, your, is your God on vacation? Is he sleeping? You know, and he starts mocking them and having fun with them. And <clears throat> verse 33, it's Elijah's turn. Nothing happens. And he put the wood on the altar, or, excuse me, in the altar and cut the bullock in pieces and laid on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice uh, and on the wood. And he said, do it again, uh, do it uh, the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, uh, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. Now let me stop right there. So what Elijah does is he, he, he prepares the altar, he puts a sacrifice of wood there, and then, and then he dumps all this water on it. Now, now let me ask you a question. What? Is that crazy? It's crazy for two reasons. One, it's hard to light a fire with wet wood, but it's even more crazy that they're at the end of a three and a half year drought. And that water is precious. Verse 34, and he said, uh, or, or 35, and the water ran about uh, the altar and filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering, at the even, evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and of Israel, let it be known, excuse me, this day, that thou art a God in, that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy name. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the, and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. God did an amazing work through Elijah. God used Elijah in, a, in, in just an incredible way. 
And they go on, and Elijah has the prophets of Baal uh, killed because of their heresy. And, and, and Jezebel, the queen, gets word of what has happened, and she is so mad at Elijah that she gives him an ultimatum. Uh, look at uh, chapter 19 and verse 1. And Ahab uh, told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and <clears throat> uh, with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah. And she basically says this, if you're not out of Dodge by noon tomorrow, you're going to die the same way. And she delivers an ultimatum to Elijah. Well, Elijah gets scared and he runs for his life. I got a picture for you. Do you have that picture, Chris? <clears throat> this is a map. <clears throat> this is a map. <clears throat> this, this right here is Mount Carmel. This is where all of this is taking place. <clears throat> Elijah takes off running, and he runs south to Mount Horeb. Okay? <clears throat> this is a long journey. And again, I'm not gonna, I don't have time to fill in all the blanks, <clears throat> because there's a lot happens, as you can imagine, between here and here. Look at chapter 19 and verse 8. <clears throat> chapter 19 and verse 8. And he arose and did eat and drink and went into uh, the strength of the meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Then came thither un uh, unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, <clears throat> uh, what, uh, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel <clears throat> have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, and slain thy prophet with the sword. And I, even I only am left. They seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand in the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountain and break it in pieces. <clears throat> break in pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And, the wind and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. A still, small voice. The second man that we're going to talk about. Now, I do want to say this, that even though that between Elijah and Moses, Moses lived first, but I should say between Moses and Elijah, is about 480 years between the two men's lives. 
480 years. But what is interesting, and I want to bring out, is that these two men, even though they obviously never met, their two lives intersect at a very interesting place. The second man, Moses. Let's talk about Moses. I have another picture for you here. <clears throat> I, those of you that follow the church Facebook know that I put this up on the church Facebook page the other day. Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. 40 years learning he was nobody. And 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. I love this quote, D.L. Moody. Now, Moses did not start his ministry until he was how old? 80. He spent, he spent 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert, and then the last 40 years <clears throat> he spent leading the children of Israel. He was 80 years old when he started ministering. Look at Exodus, <clears throat> Exodus chapter 3. And this is, this is where you will see the intersection of the two lives of Elijah and Moses. Now Moses <clears throat> kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to what? Horeb. Same mountain. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked at the, and, and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. Moses is on Mount Horeb. Almost 500 years before Elijah. Look at Exodus chapter 3 and verse 10. Come now therefore and I will send thee to Pharaoh and that thou mayest bring forth my children, <clears throat> uh, the children uh, of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? that I should go unto Pharaoh, uh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, now, I don't know if you are like Moses and me, but I like to argue with God. I'm just not real bright that way, okay? Just saying. <clears throat> but Moses argues with God. Finally, you know, and, and, and if you keep reading, you'll find that Moses had more than likely had a speech impediment. He, was, he, he probably stuttered or... Most, at least most theologians believe that he, that he stuttered or something like that. And uh, <clears throat> so he struggled with that. And then finally Moses gives in. Moses goes to Egypt. God, through Moses, uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, unleashes the ten plagues in Egypt. Uh, the Pharaoh uh, uh, tells the people to go eventually. And they find themselves pinned against the Red Sea. They're, they're at this point, they get to the Red Sea. Everything's hunky-dory. God's doing miracles along the way. And they get to the Red Sea. And guess who shows up? Somebody tell me. Pharaoh and his army. 
and the people are scared to death. Now their backs are against the sea. The armies of Egypt are coming down on them. These are not soldiers. The children of Israel have no weapons to fight with. But then God does a great miracle, and he, and he, and he splits the Red Sea. They walk across on dry ground, and then the armies of Egypt follow, and, and then God closes in the water and kills the armies of Egypt. So <clears throat> once they get on the other side of the Red Sea, they make their way to a place called Mount Sinai, <clears throat> where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> Turn to Exodus chapter 31. I told you I was giving you the snapshot of it all. Exodus chapter 31. God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> Look at verse 18. Uh, and he gave uh, unto Moses when he had made an end of the communing with him upon the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai two tablets of testimony, uh, tablets of stone written uh, with the finger of God. Now, that is an incredible statement. These two tablets God wrote with his own finger. What an incredible, incredible thing. But what happens? Look at verse uh, uh, chapter 32. Chapter 32. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Upon uh, up, make us gods which uh, shall go before us as uh, for as... From this, Moses, uh, the man that brought us up out of Egypt, uh, we want not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the earrings, the golden earrings, which are in your ears, and your wives and uh, of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them to me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron, and he received them at their hand and fashioned it a graven tool after uh, he made a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now, do you think God got a little mad? Okay, just a little bit. Just a little bit. In fact... God threatened to take them out. And, and uh, Moses, uh, on, on their behalf, pleads on their behalf, and God says, okay, you go deal with him. Now, it's interesting to me, can anybody tell me the first three commandments that Moses has, Moses has got the tablets in his hands coming down the mountain. What are the first three? No God before me. Uh, he says, the first one is, I am the Lord thy God. Uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Uh, thou shalt have no graven images. You know, the first three commandments are the very things that they were, that they were desecrating. And Moses gets down and he, and he deals with the people. And then he goes back up on the Mount Sinai. And this is where I event, eventually was trying to get to. <clears throat> Verse 33. Uh, excuse me, chapter 33 in verse 21. 
And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass while my glory pass by, that I will be with thee in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall thou shall not be seen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, I ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that you would help us as we look at your word tonight, to, this morning, to be challenged to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, needless to say, all of that was introduction. Okay? You hadn't even got to the sermon yet. We'll be here till about four. <clears throat> no, just, just kidding. Uh, now, I, there are some things I want to point out here because it's important. Uh, it, the, the statement, the clef, of a, the clef of a rock, is making reference to a cave. Earlier we read that these two men's lives intersected on Mount Horeb. Elijah, we saw, was in a cave. Now we see that Moses is in a cave. Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb are the same place. It's the same mountain. It's the mountain of God. Most theologians, well, I shouldn't say most, many theologians believe that not only were they on the same mountain, but they were in the same cave. This morning I want to talk about finding your cave. Finding your cave. Let's go back to the first picture, if you would. Can, can we pull up that, that first picture again? <clears throat> okay, we said that this is Mount Carmel. Elijah went to Mount Horeb. Egypt is here. The children of Israel made their way probably over somewhere in here, crossed the Red Sea, made their way over to Mount Sinai or to Mount Horeb, same, same place. Now, this body of water right here is the Red Sea. So, <clears throat> for years, as I have studied Elijah, and I've, I've read the, the life of Elijah many, many times, I never made the connection that they went to the same place. See, the whole time that Elijah was running, he wasn't running away from God. He was running to God. Because Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, is known as what? The mountain of God. So here, Elijah wasn't running from God. He was running to God. And there are times in our lives that we need to stop running away from God and we need to start running to God. And we need to run to the cave of God. Because I'm going to give you five things. I'm going to give you five things this morning that you can find in the cave of God when you need it. The first one, it is a place to talk to God. It is a place 
to talk to God. Moses spoke to God in the cave as a friend speaks to a friend face to face. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses uh, face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Can you imagine a place where, where, where you can get, where you can talk to God face to face like you would a friend? What an incredible place. But see, when you get to the cave of God, you can talk to God face to face as a friend speaks to a friend. Elijah spoke to God. But at the words that, that uh, Elijah... See, you, you have to understand, <clears throat> in the cave, Mo, uh, Moses found direction, but Elijah found encouragement. El Elijah was discouraged. That's why he was running to the cave of God. He was trying to find God, and God brought great encouragement into his life. But there was a process... And excuse me, Elijah works, uh, spoke words of anger and frustration at God. In First Kings chapter nineteen, verses nine and ten, it says, "And he and he came thither into the cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been jealous." For the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel, and have for, uh, have uh, children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and and I, even I alone, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. See, in the cave, God's cave. It is a place that you can talk to God. But don't, I, I want you to get this because it not only is it a place to talk to God, but it is a place that we can be honest with God. Elijah was honest. He, Elijah was not only honest with God, but he was honest with himself. And, and way too often we want to hide our feelings be, when, when it comes to talking to God. And God wants us to be honest. And it is in the cave of God, when we meet with God in the cave, that we can be honest with Him and with ourselves. Number two, it is a place to return to the Word of God. It is a place to return to the Word of God. It was the place that God gave Moses the two tablets. Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, And he gave unto Moses when he had made an end to the communing. In other words, when they were done talking, fellowshipping, having that face-to-face -face conversation upon Mount Sinai, two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Elijah, the word of God came to Elijah. It is the Word of God that changes lives, not the philosophies of men. And it is in the cave of God that we find that truth. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 to 13. 
And he said, Go forth and stand in the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. Now, now understand, God uses the same phraseology in dealing with Moses and Elijah. God passed by. And a strong and a great and strong wind rent the mountain and break in pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? See, it is in our cave that the word of God can be heard. It is a time where we can get away from the distractions of life. We need to get away sometimes. We need to unplug, if you would. Get away from our cell phones and the the social media and all the garbage of the world so that we can hear the still, small voice of God. There are a few distractions in the cave. Number three, it is a place that God can challenge us. It is a place that God can challenge us. For Moses, the challenge was to walk with him so that he would be a better leader to lead his children. Exodus chapter 33, verses 14 and 15. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give uh, give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go, uh, go not with me, carriest Uh, not up hence. In other words, Moses was saying, God, if your presence is not going to go with me, just just forget it. I'm done. See, Moses was challenged in the cave. Elijah, for Elijah, the challenge came in a form of a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Verse 13 of uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went up out of the, and stood in the entering of the cave. And, and <clears throat> behold, there came a voice unto him saying, What doest thou here, Elijah? You know, some, sometimes the most challenging questions that we can ask ourselves is, What am I doing here? What's, what, what, what am I doing here? Why am, I, why am I here? See, the cave is a great place to get our priorities right. Now, I have, I have a newsflash for you. I know this is going to come to a shock to many of you. So, so, so be careful here, okay? Life is not about you. Just saying. We get so consumed with us. What can I get out of it? This is Missions Month at Grace Baptist Church. Let me, let me, let me give you a plug here. World evangelism is not about you. It's about spreading the Word of God around the world. 
so that lives can be changed around this world. And the reality is this. Most of us, most of us spend more money on decorator coffees than we do in worldwide missions. Somebody gave me a a gift card recently to Starbucks. I don't go to Starbucks unless it's free, by the way. (laughs) I I got a drink. It cost almost $6. I was appalled. But it was free, so I, you know, I, I'll do it. But uh, honestly, and this is a God, this is God knows my heart. As I was drinking that, I felt guilty because I'm thinking, man, I could use this money so many other places. See, we waste more money than should be legally allowed. God can challenge us in the cave. Number four, it is a place to get to know God. Moses saw the glory of God. In Exodus chapter 33 and verses 21 and 20 to 23, it says, And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. Thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass while my glory pass by. See it again? That I will put thee in the cleft of the rock or the cave, and I will cover thee with my hand until I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. It is a place to get to know God. It's a place to talk to God, to return to the Word of God, to be challenged. But more importantly, it's a place to get to know God. There's nothing like the cave of God to get to know God. Elijah saw a great wind, an earthquake, a fire, but it was in the still, small voice that he found God. When we are alone with God, He can pass by us and change our lives. And then number five. And no, no, it, it, I've, I've already read it. I didn't see the need to read it again. <clears throat> number five. It is a place that they both died to themselves. It is a place that they died to themselves. You say, wait a second, they didn't die. Well, they didn't die physically. When Moses returned, those of you that know the story, anybody know what Moses had to do after returning from the mountain and meeting with God face to face? He had, to cover his, he had to cover his face with a veil. Exodus chapter 40, uh, excuse me, 34, verses 32 to 34. And after all the children of Israel came nigh, he gave them uh, <clears throat> in commandment all that the Lord has spoken, 
with him in Mount, uh, in Mount Sinai until Moses had done speaking with them he put a veil on his face but when Moses went in before the Lord he spake with him he took the veil off until it came until he came out and he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which was commanded see it was finally after Moses died to himself and the glory of God shone through Moses so, so much that he had to hide his face. And the people for the first time recognized that it was God using Moses and not Moses the man. My question to you is this. Do people around you see the glory of God through your life so much that they recognize, hey, you know what? That is the man who walks with God. Elijah, when he finally stopped talking and started listening to God, when they heard the still small voice. See, at the beginning of his cave experience, he was arguing and complaining with God. But when he finally heard God speak, God was able to take him and use him in a great way. It wasn't about Elijah all of a sudden. It was about the things of God. And it's in our lives, when we get to the point where we understand, you know what, it's not about me. It's about him. It's about his will in my life. The great Christian George Mueller was asked about his spiritual power one time. And he looked at the individual, and he, this was his reply. He said, one day George Mueller died. Think about that. What is your, what is your spiritual life like? Is, this, is, it, it's, is it to the point where somebody would walk up to you and say, hey, how come you have so much spiritual power? George Mueller looked at the individual and said, hey, you know what, it's because there was a day in my past that I died to George Mueller. What did, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31? I, I protest by my rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I, what? Die daily. Paul says it is a daily process that we have to go through. And we, don't, we, we die to our own desires so that Christ can be lifted up in our lives. And it is in the cave that that process can take place. We saw it in the life of Moses. We saw it in the life of Elijah. Two men who started their lives, their ministry lives, excuse me, their ministry lives, they started later in life. Uh, and I want to challenge you with this thought, okay? This is, this is, this is really all of, all of this morning comes down to this one statement. What are you willing to do for God? Are you going to let your circumstances of life, your age, your jobs, your, 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 your whatever you fill in the blank, are you going to allow that to dictate your service to God? And if Dr. Childs was here one right today, he would stick his finger in your face and he would tell you the same thing he told me. 
Don't ever let your age. Let, let me rephrase that. Don't let anything in your life dictate the will of God in your life but God. But oftentimes, we need to get to the cave. We need to run to the cave of God to be able to understand what that will is. There is no question in my mind that there are people sitting in this room right now watching on, on, online. I don't care who it is. There are people that need to surrender to the will of God for your lives. And the best place to find that is in the cave of God. Now, I'm not suggesting you get on a plane, fly over to Egypt, and climb Mount Sinai and find a cave. That's not what I'm talking about. Fortunately, we can get alone with God right here. And there are plenty of places that you can get alone with God. If you need help, I'll help you get alone with God. I'll take you out in the desert and drop you off. <laughs> Some of you I would love to do that with. I'm just teasing. <laughs> Get along with God. Get along with God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day.